Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the ladies in tech from around Ireland and across the globe. Remember, there are many ways of getting a show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app, uh, iTunes if you like, or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief Niall Kitson. Uh, we've got a brilliant interview for you just in a little bit, but first, Niall, there is really only kind of one tech story and I never thought that a tech story would tie in with what the President of the United States is doing. Oh, who doesn't sound good? Although, really, there, there is a couple of things going on. There's Apple EU tax. Apple had a very good uh, time in the results. They've overtaken Samsung, but you don't want to talk about that. So, let's talk about Donald Trump and the migrant ban. That's what he's calling it. Let's well, it's not necessarily the, the migrant ban. It's, it's more the reaction of the tech industry because it appears that the tech industry in America has unified... And they've all come together because they do not like this ban because it is severely affecting their businesses. Well, yeah, and, and let's just sort of get this out of the way. It is a, a Muslim ban. You know, this is a ban on anyone traveling from seven countries, Iran, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Sudan, Yemen and Somalia. So the argument goes that these are countries with ties to terrorism. Uh, however, there is no evidence that anyone from any of these countries has been involved in a terrorist attack on U.S. soil um, ever, I think, or since mm. the 1970s anyway. So, you know, it's it's based on pure fear, uncertainty and doubt. And what some might say is as fulfilling a campaign promise, others might say is just blatant fear mongering. Um, but... The interesting fallout for the tech sector, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is that there's a massive skills deficit in the tech sector, right? They can't hire people quickly enough out in Silicon Valley. That's why being a software developer is one of the best jobs in the world at the moment. You can go out to San Francisco and get a $90,000 job pretty much walk into them because the because of the dearth of talent there and the amount of startups and the amount of companies just vying for each other uh, jockeying for position so this means that with such a big skills gap it means that the tech companies rely on free passage of labor right so you know there is what's called the h1b program and that's a, a special visa program and i think it just applies to people working in the tech sector that you know if, if you're not american you can apply for this visa it means google apple whatever can hire you over in the states and you can come over uh under the the muslim ban <clears throat> those visas are now worthless uh if you have traveled from any of those countries you've come over it doesn't matter if you've got a green card doesn't matter if you've got dual citizenship mm. save the uk or um canada which uh, mo farah found out uh, a uk citizen with uh, somali um, joint citizenship i believe um, he wouldn't be allowed back into the states uh, if he went to compete um, so it's an incredibly restrictive um, regime at the moment. Mm. But um, I mean, the tech sector is really feeling it because, you know, they need people to come in and fill these jobs that just, you know, the demand is there, but the, qualifi the qualified staff isn't there either. And it's a problem that we have in Ireland as well, uh, which makes it an opportunity for Ireland because... Um, 
uh, I think for obvious reasons. Um, so we're, we're getting companies coming out now and saying, uh, say the likes of Microsoft or LinkedIn and Facebook going, hey, you want to work for LinkedIn? You want to work for Microsoft? Get, guess what? We're hiring in Ireland and you don't mm. need to worry so much. Well, about you only users. have to walk down Barrow Street uh, uh, with Google's headquarters and you, and you hear the variety of accents that there are uh, of people working with Google there. And Google have come out and said uh, in America, they said that over 100 of their staff are directly affected uh, at the moment with this ban. Wow. I mean, I mean, and Google are such a massive employer over here as well. I mean, in a couple of years time, Google, Google's total headcount in Ireland will be 10,000. You know, I mean, that's that's huge. Like that's the size of UCD. Yes. But if you think about that, that's what it is in Ireland. Imagine what it is in America. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I imagine the scale is is just, you know, it's it's incomparable. But it's it's also interesting to see how different companies are reacting to it, because, yeah, we have the multinationals going. Do you know what? We we actually have these other bases. Uh, We've got, I know, Enterprise Ireland uh, and the IDA will be all over this going, do you know what? Best little country in the world to do business. Come here. We, we don't care who you are. Well, I mean, we care who you are, you know, etc. But, um, you know, we're, we're not going to ban you on the basis of your religion. So um, in terms of fundraising, then, um, I think you've been keeping an eye on this a little bit um, in terms of the financial response to what's going on, because really the dismantling of the ban began, I think, was it Saturday even? Like there was um, the two Iraqi gentlemen were were held up in JFK and they got a solicitor to appeal their ban and they got it rescinded. So uh, there are legal actions going mm. on all across the states against this. Um, in the meantime, you do have the likes of Google. You have the Irish company Intercom and uh, Irish company Stripe. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's based in San Francisco, but the, mm. the founder, Patrick Collison, uh, one of the founders, the Collison brothers, um, they have started making uh, donations to the ACLU and promising to look after uh, legal fees mm. for, um, you know, staff moving into the country. I think this issue shows a fundamental, how would you say, I, an appreciation. That's not that's not the word. It's, it, it's like um, a fundamental lack of understanding of how the labor force works. I mean, this measure, it's not going to bring back jobs to the Trump you know, base in the Rust Belt, for example. These are not manufacturing jobs. These are high-end tech jobs. These are skilled jobs. So it's not going to... Um yeah, okay. You, you, know, you have that, a different thought. No, on no, this. no. It's not that I have a, di- a, a different thought. It's just there are so many angles to this story. Uh, and, you know, you and I neither have the time nor we're qualified really to talk about it. Um, but it's just interesting from our end of things to see that the entire tech industry is kind of coming out and they're saying, number one, we don't agree with this. Number two, this is affecting our business. And number three, we are willing to fund uh, legal actions to try and reverse this, which is uh, uh, what they've all come out. And done. I mean, the guy who founded Google, uh, Sergey Breen, was down at San Francisco Airport with supporters and actually showing his support. Jack Dorsey, uh, a Twitter guy, of course, uh, was obviously on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> saying that the uh, the repercussions will be will be real and upsetting. Uh, Tim Cook sent an email to all his staff saying that uh, you know, kind of what Donald Trump has done is not Apple policy, which I just thought was hilarious nice in its own little way. <laughs> it's like there's Planet Earth and then there's Apple. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Reed Hastings, who we both know. Uh, Mr. I, Netflix. I thought he came from Netflix, yeah. Uh, I thought his uh, comment was, was the strongest of all because he described it as being so un-American that it pains us all. And then, of course, wow. we had uh, Airbnb uh, said that if anybody is stuck abroad that they will provide free accommodation. And Starbucks has said that they're going to uh, hire 10,000 uh, refugees worldwide. So it's like everybody is kind of coming out and saying this is wrong. And for the reasons that you say quite correctly, Niall, in that they need talent, they need intelligent talent. And whether that comes from America or whether it comes from India or whether it comes from Syria or wherever it comes from, they need the talent. And for commerce to continue, that's why they want that to go on. And then my own, uh, uh, I heard a comment that just kind of rung a bell with me and was somebody who said, America is one of the most culturally diverse countries in the world. It's made up of, you know, 250, 300 different nations who've all come together and made an amazing country. Yeah. And now they're closing the door. Yeah. It's a, so, it's a very sad time. It's a, sad, it's a, it's a very interesting time that uh, we're living through. Lots of people uh, drawing comparisons with other times that we've had in history. But listen, we won't even go there. Mm-hmm. Listen, that's the big story of the week. Thanks for having a chat with Ben. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, this weekend, we are kicking off with the Six Nations one once again. And Niall has been off chatting to a very interesting chap about this. Uh, Paul Purotti is his name. He's the managing director of Accenture Digital, who are an IT consulting company. But they've also brought out a Six Nations app, which gives you every single statistic and detail that you could want from each of the matches. And they do it live. To find out how it works, Nile spoke more with Paul Purotti. I've come out to the offices of Accenture here in Dublin on Grand Canal Quay and the Six Nations is upon us more or less. So I've come out to talk to Paul Pierotti, who is the MD of Accenture Digital about a very interesting project that they're doing with player analytics at the moment. Now, I'm sure that sort of followers of rugby will be familiar with things like, you know, meters made, tackles missed. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit about where that information comes from, how it's gathered and how you can um, engage with it. So, Paul, just tell us a little bit about the relationship with uh, Accenture and um, sort of the the IRFU, because when you're working on a project that makes use of machine learning and big data, and later on we'll talk about mixed reality as well, it's, it's not something that's done overnight. Is this something that begins on the training pitch away from prying eyes, or is there a dual-pronged approach where, you know, it's sort of the consumer gets to the information more or less at the same time as a coaching staff? So, um, and maybe just to give you some background of how we got, how we got here, so as you know, we are the, well, the corporate sponsor, one of the, the lead technology sponsors for the Six Nations. As In parallel, we are also, um, Dublin is one of our five global hubs for um, analytics, and we also now have our innovation centre um, the dock, um, 200 metres away from where we are here as well. So Accenture have got a long-standing set of experience of delivering advanced analytics solutions for clients, um, including Irish clients. Um, and so it probably makes sense that as we start to do our sponsorship in some of these corporate areas that um, there's always a link that we want to show some value with those organisations we work with, and analytics is always quite near the top of that. So we started working with the Six Nations a number of years ago, um, and it really started with the, the concept of helping them build at specific apps. So in parallel to our ongoing sponsorship, we started to deliver apps for 
um, people to download and get more experience and to get better understanding of the Six Nations, both pre-game and during game. And, and that's then also expanded over time. And in particular, I suppose your point, it's, it's useful that to, to clarify exactly what we do. So most of the analytics work we do related to Six Nations is that um, pre- and post-game support and information and insights where we can hit the other them combined with the analytics and also some of our um, <clears throat> some of the, the rugby legends that we work with. It's also um, we get access in-game to roughly 1.6, 1.7 million data items. Uh, and that's really where the analytics comes into its own. Um, and maybe the best way to illustrate that is how we work with RTE, because we're very proud that actually that relationship we have, and despite my accent and my surname, I am new Irish, been here 13 years, we're always proud that Accenture Analytics leads the way in Ireland for our other global capabilities. What we do is... Um, we, we really started to see, both from a UK and an Irish perspective, to be fair, that, that 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 level of data, there's just so much opportunity that you can do more and more on it. Um, and we spent time, we had a great relationship with RTE, engaged with RTE, and in particular around the radio side. You know, um, the, the data, they were, they were getting roughly the same data as us. It's delivered by Opta, you know, and it's collected through a variety of sensors and manual captures. Um, but the reality was that the, the radio in particular was getting that as a sort of semi-live feed. So if you imagine Michael Corcoran, who's the, the wonderful um, radio um, commentator RTE have for the rugby, you know, as he's live on the radio, you know, it's very difficult for you to be starting doing pivot tables and analysis um, while you're still watching the game and having to talk. So we started to work with them to show some of the analytics we were already putting into the apps, so some of the results that we were showing in game in the apps and you know of different players and momentum and all of those other statistics related to those items, and started to say, well, look, Michael, is there something we can do about in game to make your commentary better and more informed? And that's went really, really well, and we're very proud of that. So to the long and the short of that, for the last two tournaments and also for the South Africa tour as well, one of our guys is sitting in the commentary box beside Michael so as he gets those 1.7 million item data items a game we have our statistics working as close to real time to actually provide him insights and information that hopefully helps him you know better present it's a you know the, the analysis during the game and after the game I think interestingly as well it's been a great example of how we deploy agile as well and that user design Michael's got a real expert knowledge of rugby. He also knows what he wants to see and insights he wants to have. Um, so we, we've we absolutely done a test and learn, evolve, agile approach to how we've delivered this interface for him. So when you're talking about agile, you're talking about sort of changing the nature of the project almost on a game-to-game basis, absolutely. really. Absolutely. So what Michael gives us, and, and I'll start to talk through exactly what we have for insight, but just as a, as a methodology approach, you know, you know, Michael saw the value of what we were doing very quickly. But as, as any of these Agile projects, it's only when you actually try to use something in anger that you realise, actually, that insight wasn't quite right. Can you do that versus that? Do you know, I really want a head-to-head for these two types of players. Can you, you know, in it? Mm. And, and so every game, Michael gives us feedback um, on, well, actually, that was brilliant, that was great, that bit, I really want more detail, that bit didn't quite work. 
mm. and and so we are updating those interfaces in between every game. And when you're when you're working with such a large data set, um, and you have the guy in the commentary box literally sort of sifting through, what kind of technology is being used at the back end to help that process? So we, so we have a an end to end analytics platform that we call the Accenture Insight platform. And I think historically in our wider business, we've found a real push from organisations that are seeking to build data warehouses to then incorporate their data and then get a bunch of analytics licences. That we've seen a need that actually there's a shift to there that what organisations are increasingly, as they become more mature in their analytics journey, they want to buy outcomes and they want to buy analytics services that can support them in their outcomes. So our analytics insight platform is an end-to-end cloud solution. So it has the data storage capability that you would expect from a, you know, an AWS or a Google side, and we do leverage, of course, all of the suppliers. It then has a data ingestion, data integration layer as you can start to integrate you know, and do that layer as well and then has a data science level the advanced analytics so you can use Python, you can use R, you can use whatever and start to build insights on that and start to do almost the what if analysis, start to build predictive models and we have a visualisation layer as well where you've got your click, your tableaus or wherever um, and you can start to present back that information to, to the experts in the front line to help them make decisions. Well, one of the interesting things about using structured data and having sort of a predictive model is, uh, unfortunately, human action can be quite unpredictable. Sure. So um, this year you've added something called the randomness engine to the IT application. So tell us a little bit more about how that works. So so effectively, maybe just to separate out what the models are actually doing. Um, so we uh, taking all of that data as well as presenting insights and presenting it in a more that those insights in game to make it a more structured way. Um, what we are doing is um, we're also building a number of predictive models that are underlying that as well. Now, unfortunately, we are somewhat restricted on how much of that we make available in the app because we don't particularly want to be sued by ten thousand people that lose lots of money on a Tuesday afternoon because of our models. But effectively what it's doing is it is taking that information it's a, and it's predicting individual contributions to games and also the ongoing likelihood for, for who wins. And the machine learning, what it's effectively doing is, um, is continuing to evolve as that data comes in to update the underlying models that are doing that to build better developments and also raise better insights in-game as well. So if we're seeing something during a game that actually can help us better adjust our model to align to the, the additional data that we're getting, then it's automatically updating. And, then, and I suppose that's what's happening in the underlying aspect. What it means is Michael or whoever is getting better insights popped out to them. And I think actually it's a good combination as well of absolutely using that machine learning and evolution with expert input trying to direct the analytics as well. So I and actually, so one of the leading sort of rugby stars that we've been working with, we had a great session with him last week, two weeks ago, where he was talking about um, tiredness. Now, we haven't incorporated this in this version, but I'm, I'm keen that we do the next one. And this idea that tiredness impacts different players in different ways. Now, also, if we have all the metrics of how a player has been playing, so we can estimate some sort of tiredness for them. And so we can actually start to link... Um, tiredness with the likelihood to commit to, to make mistakes 
and so that's also the next as we start to get that data and that's a good example you can see as those stuck models start to evolve as well um, brilliant that we can rather than just having static models that run we can actually start to use machine learning as we get more information on those individuals that the models align accordingly as well. So when you're looking at this app, it's not just a, a demonstration of we do analytics. This is actually an evolving product with applications um, far beyond the Six Nations. So, so, so I think, because um, actually we, the, very regularly, we, we do a lot of work with sporting or, or organisations um, globally, but I think the Six Nations stuff is... It's an incredibly useful way for us to demonstrate how analytics can support and how real-time analytics can support something that our clients understand. It's not a commercial relationship beyond the sponsorship, um, and I think that's that, that, that's fine. We're happy with that. We're not, we're not seeking to change that. But I, to give you an example, there, there was a leading logistics company we're working with, global leading logistics company, who have a wealth of real-time data, and they are struggling to be able to manage the day-to-day, the hour-to-hour, the minute-to-minute of their organisation. What the Six Nations um, app and that 1.7 million data items gives us is a great way to show their head of logistics how he or she can manage you know, all of that noise and gain insights in their operations. And our experience has been rugby is an area that many of our clients have an interest in so they are open to that thought. They also understand the, the statistical reality of it. Look, I'm the person that stands in front of 300 of our clients every year and, and says who I think is going to win the Six Nations. Um, and guess what? Sometimes we're wrong. Because if I wasn't wrong, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. <laughs> I'd be sitting on a sunny beach somewhere. But they get that. They understand that actually statistics and how it works and the error rate and all of that. And, the, and you often get very very specific questions about well, how are you incorporating player injury information and the st- the analogy then to right let's talk about your organization let's talk about what data you have access to what data you don't have access to let's talk about the implications of error rates if the model is wrong you know that it isn't a huge leap and actually to give you a really some pragmatic example of that so the opta data we get there is an inherent error in it and we follow them and basically what Opta do is they have a correction at the end of every game so X minutes after every game they come back and say actually we're validated and here's the correct data set by that point Michael's off the air you know by that point Michael's away you know in his car driving home or whatever and so we're working with him and that's often the case actually with logistics leads or whatever leads as well and so really thinking about accepting some of the limitations you have in your data being honest about what is the decision you're needing to make and when do you need it. Uh, thinking through the implications of potential failures of the data. So we do have situations where sometimes statistics can can change because of the analysis. And just owning that and being honest about it and managing that. And I think that's a great example with our clients that we work through of the clients understand that there's no point giving Michael the best statistic 25 minutes after the game's finished. So how do you incorporate real... And, and again, the comparison to the international logistics conversation, if if that person has to make a decision on a Wednesday morning at 
that's the best information we can get at that point. That is often a, a criticism of big data that your analysis is is only as good as the data that you're getting either through sensors or through individual reports or record keeping that sort of thing. Um, and it is a it's quite a powerful criticism at times. Would you would you agree? So so, so I think. Okay, remember I'm biased. I'm an analytics guy. Um, I absolutely the better quality data that we have, then the better the insights are going to be. Um, absolutely, many organisations we work with don't do enough in data governance and data management and data quality, and need to do more. And we're helping some of them do that. At the same time, I have yet to work with one organisation that doesn't have enough quality in its data that you can derive value. And the idea that I hate, because it doesn't work, is let's all wait for six months till we've got perfect data and then we'll build the perfect model. Because actually, often data quality relies on individuals in the front line taking ownership of the data and doing something about it. And that includes in rugby as well, actually, with some of the stuff that there's some interesting SMEs in, in Ireland that are working with the front line and the staff and the players. They need to see the value of this, that they'll invest their time. Um, and so our experience has always been, let's be honest about where the data failures are, but, you know, but let's look where they think the data is good or OK and let's show some value to get everyone on the bus, including getting them on the bus around actually addressing data quality. So I'm working with a, a global sales force at the moment and 100% of the data quality challenges are down to the sales force putting in inaccurate data or late data. That's the only way, we're, and getting them engaged is going to be the only way we're going to improve. I need to show them the value to them of doing that. Um, and once I can show them the value then they'll start to improve the quality of the data in the system. One of the uh, other projects that's going on around the Six Nations this year, it's not so much going on in Ireland at the moment, I, I gather it's going on in Twickenham, is the um, use of blended reality. So tell us a little bit about that. So the thing is, it's a, it's a big push. We do, we do a lot of work in visual analytics. Um, and this is around exactly using, you know, well, I know Google Glass isn't in the same place, but using you know augmented reality, um, artificial intelligence capability to to be able to demonstrate these insights in a different way. Sports fans are generally quite geeky. Sports fans love to feel more engaged and involved. We've really seen a strong engagement with our app and the stats and people asking for more questions and we think that virtual reality space is a great way to demonstrate more information there and I, I mean, actually we see this as a really key part of how sports can be one of the drivers of this that idea of your home experience feeling as if you're in the stadium that idea of and I've heard one example of you know as somebody takes a vital kick that actually if we've got devices on them we can we can feel and hear their heartbeat you know let's Let's feel as if players are engaged. It's really important. And so absolutely what we've been doing is using augmented reality to to try and present those stats in an in-game, more interesting way. And I think it's really exciting. It's demonstrated very well. I also think this is just the way the sport's going to go. You know, I when I'm watching at home, I would rather be in the stadium. Um, and the more that you can make me have an immersive experience where I've got full access to the stats and and actually full access to the experience, um, then I think that's absolutely the you know where sports organisations are going to go. So what we do just now 
is we provide the statistics and the ongoing information in a in a virtual reality way that allows you to watch the game and more easily access um, those in-game statistics. Um, apart from who we think is going to win, because clearly then we get sued. But um, but that wider information that you what we don't want to do is you have to stop look at your phone or look at online to get that we want to just be part of your view and that augmented reality of you know the stats being just a menu that you can pick up and look at during in game now but but i do think it the more you think about that the more opportunity there is to engage and i think that's the thing that really interests us in it as you start to engage with fans you realize there's so many further ways that this can go and actually the gamification of it you know we're not there yet but I love the idea of the sort of what if analysis for sport you know what happens if Johnny Sexton had gone left not right what happens in that situation you know what and that type of side of it I think you'll more and more start to see the gamification coming into sport as well as as those boundaries blur and as all of us myself included want more exciting experiences as we go to sport and if somebody wants to access all this data during the tournament how can they do that? So, download our app, um, and we'll happily provide a, a link to it. He says, being probably less prepared than he should have. Um, but yes, download With regards to the wider experience, um, the, so the app has a lot of the statistics and a lot of the information, so you should first put a call. Um, follow us on Twitter, the Accenture Rugby handle. You'll see that we publish a lot of in-game um, analysis as well there. Um, including for all the Irish games we work with them but you, you'll see that we're published every 10 minutes we're pushing an updated version of the dashboard so you can see what's there as, you know, so it's an addition to what's in the app with regards to the specific core data set let's be honest though we get that from a partner organisation so we are have some restrictions under that we, we have actually this year we've brought on an intern from one of our masters in advanced analytics in Ireland and she's been helping us do additional work to try and see what other things we can do so we are always keen to see what else we can do with it but but I suppose just to be explicit with it that data does come from another third party that, that you know so there, there are restrictions on how we can share that the, the core underlying data and that was Niall Kitson talking to Paul Purotti, the Managing Director of Accenture Digital. That's it for our show this week. Do remember that you can get more on everything we've spoken about today, along with all the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show online. And every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio Once Extra. Until next time, have a great weekend. Enjoy Six Nations from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.